Are you ready to dive into the word today? I hope so, because we are uh, diving in anyway. John chapter 6, and as you're turning there, um, I would like to say that last week I was very encouraged and very stirred in my spirit by the preacher who preached last Sunday. If you were not here, the preacher last week was my wife, and she did an amazing job. And I'm not just saying that for brownie points. I, maybe a couple, but I, I sat over there and I, I really was encouraged by the word that she brought. And so thank you very much for that amazing word. And I talked to many people who were blessed uh, as well. John chapter six. And um, today I am going to really let John chapter six speak for itself. Um, and in just a few weeks, we're going to start a new series. I'm excited about that. But today, God really impressed on my heart uh, one of my, I would say, probably my second favorite chapter in all of the Bible. Um, a, a close second, probably Romans chapter 8 would be my first. But John chapter 6 is such an incredible chapter. And so I'm literally going to walk us through that chapter and just let it breathe this morning. I want it to speak to us. I want to hear what Jesus is trying to get across to us through the, through the pages of this book in John chapter 6. And so uh, before uh, we kind of walk through the whole thing, I want you to look at verse 25, and we're just going to read 10 verses. And, and John chapter 6, to kind of catch you up on, on what's happening, Jesus has fed the 5,000, and uh, the disciples then leave that place. They get into a boat, and they, um, they face a storm, and Jesus gets into the boat with them, and then suddenly their boat miraculously arrives at their destination, and then nothing else is said of that miracle. And then almost as if the story continues um, from the, the fish and the loaves, and, and and then they, he begins to explain to the followers who found him because they were, it was the next day and they were hungry again. And so they were following Jesus because now their belly was empty again and they were hungry. And so here we are in verse 25. It says this, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food, or do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And when they said to him, then they said to him, Okay, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And mind you, this is the, the, the very day before. Jesus just, just spread out like a lunch buffet before their very eyes. And the very next day they're saying, oh, well, what, what work are you going to do today to prove that you're really him? Yesterday wasn't good enough. And so Verse 31, they continue, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, 
But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Would you pray with me? Father, we're asking you in these next moments, we would not go through the motions of church. We would not be wowed by lights and crowds, but we would be stirred in our pursuit of you. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, in this moment to come and teach and preach through me. Let your word go forth. We know that it will not return void. Thank you for that, that you get all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, we are, if we're honest, all on a search for satisfaction, aren't we? We want to be fulfilled in life. We, we, want to, we want to feel that our life made a difference. We, we, if you will, want our funeral to be crowded. How many, how many of you know, like, like, nobody wants like four people at their funeral. Come on, this should, should reveal some selfishness in us just for a second. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, we want a packed house. I'm talking about, I want three rows of people with t-shirts with my face on it. I'm talking about R.I.P., you know, just, just repping. <laughs> like, you know, because, right? The more people at your funeral, the more important you were, the more fulfilled life you had. It doesn't take you long in searching through social media. Anybody see those things where it's like seven ways to be a better dad, seven, five ways to live you know, a fulfilled life. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll, I'll click on those, but I'll never read the article. I'll just scroll to the bottom to see what the five were, right? It's like, I don't got time to read all this introduction. Just get to the meat. What are the five things to be a better dad? And I'm like, number one, okay, got that. Number two, got that. Uh, three, I got to work on that. And then I'm done, right? Um, and then we move to the next thing. But we are all in, in, a, in a search for fulfillment, all of us. I mean, we wake up and the decisions we make and, and the things that we wear and, the, and the, the way that we talk, the way that we carry ourselves are all to serve this great hope that we would be satisfied in life and fulfilled in life. And these people, who had followed Jesus now in John chapter 6. See, John 6 really talks mostly from the third year of Jesus' ministry. And so for many people up to this point, they had already been following Jesus for two years. And they're following him and, and they are seeing miracles. And finally they get to this miracle of the, the fish and the loaves and they are going ballistic because all of a sudden it's clicking in their head. They're like, wait a minute. Um, Moses had, had, had manna, had bread come uh, to, to feed the Israelites, bread from heaven. And we know that there is a second Moses, a greater Moses coming. And so here's this guy now who is multiplying fish and multiplying bread. This, this is him. Like, if we didn't know it before, we know it now. And they actually try to seize him and make him king. They, they try to make Jesus fit their own selfish desires. And oh, I could preach that point right there, but I'm not going to. They, they saw an element of Jesus that would feed their own selfishness. 
I'm not going to I'm not going to go there. But basically what what we have is is they try to make him king. They say this is the guy who's finally going to fulfill us and and satisfy all of our needs and so we need to force him to be our king and what does Jesus do? Jesus and 15,000 people, you see it was 5,000 men, but between women and children probably 15,000 people. He actually like like slips through the crowd undetected and leaves them. What do we learn from this? Number 1, Jesus is not he's not moved by the crowds at all like we are. You see, we associate success by by how many people come. And Jesus was not swayed by that at all. As a matter of fact, he knew the intentions of their heart and he left them. He left them. It's interesting because, you know, this chapter... I'm going to just kind of work our way through this amazing chapter that has 71 verses. It starts with a megachurch, but oh, uh, by the end of the chapter, it ends with 12 confused disciples. Almost to say, Jesus, we had our moment and you blew it. Like, you ever seen a movie that's, that's great, it's awesome, but then it ends just terribly and you're like, that was, what? Like, no, you don't do that. You got to end on a positive note. And Jesus starts with this mega church, and I can see the disciples. If I was one of the disciples, I'm probably like sitting back like, this is amazing. Like, this is our moment. This is what we've been waiting for. Like, I wonder if he's going to like crown us next. Like, this is going to be great. And, and this is, the crowds are here. We've got our, we've got, you know, just play, anything we need. He's multiplying. He's just tossing bread everywhere. This is great. This is our big moment. And he leaves. And I don't know about you, but the disciples were probably thinking, whoa, 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 what's going on? And and so he leaves them. And then the disciples get on onto a boat. And there's this, there's this story that we're going to talk about in just a moment that appears to have just been implanted in this chapter, kind of, but it doesn't fit because the whole chapter. Jesus is trying to explain the miracle of the fish and the loaves. And I'm going to talk to us today about how Jesus, yes, he came to give us bread, but ultimately the overarching theme of this chapter is that he came to be bread. He came not only to fill your stomach, but to satisfy your soul. And they're missing it because they're searching after Jesus for the wrong motive. So let's look just briefly. I want to navigate my way through this chapter. And I want to, we're going to start with the miracle of the five loaves and the few fish. It's interesting because he feeds the multitudes after, after they gave what they had. And how many were left over? How many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. Twelve? How many disciples were there? What is Jesus trying to say through this miracle that I want you and I to get today? What I believe that Jesus is trying to speak to his followers is that, is that I am, if you, if you give and you serve and you think you don't have enough, I'll be enough for you. 
If you pour yourself out into other people and you serve people and you do what I've called you to do, even to the point where you don't think you've got anything left, I'll be enough for you. I'll pour into you. I, this is what Jesus is saying to us today. I'm enough for you. What's your need today? What have you been searching for? And Jesus is here to say, oh, I didn't primarily come just to fill your belly. I came to satisfy your soul. And so we have this, we have this miracle. Jesus slips out. And then in verse 16, something happens. The disciples get into a boat. They go down to the sea and just to try to cross the sea to Capernaum and it was dark and verse 18 the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat they were frightened and he said to them it is I do not be afraid and they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at land the land to which they were going Immediately, right after this story, he picks up explaining the miracle of the loaves. So why in the world do we have this, this story of Jesus walking on the water? Is it out of place? What I want to share with you is that I don't think it is. I think it actually serves the other miracle. And here's what I mean by that. All of John chapter 6, Jesus is trying to say, whatever you need, I'm enough. If you need bread, I can be bread. I'll satisfy you. I'm enough for you. And then they find themselves, the disciples, they find themselves on the sea and the wind is blowing and the, and, and the waves are crashing and they think there's no way Jesus can make it to where we are. This is the end for us. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus even calm the wind in this story? Come on, look at it. In another story, he does calm the wind. Here, what does he do? He shows up to his disciples and he introduces, he, he introduces himself and he says, I am here. And they let him into the boat and immediately the boat makes it to where they were going. What's he trying to say? What is this all about? Think what Jesus is trying to explain to us is that it doesn't matter if the need is bread or if the need is his presence, he's enough. It doesn't matter if you find yourself having given all that you have, he will supply your need. It doesn't matter if you're in a boat and in your darkest hour and walking through one of the most difficult situations in your life, Jesus is with you. If you'll let him in your boat, you will get to where he wants you to go. He is enough. This is what I feel impelled to tell you today. Are we following Jesus because of his blessings? Merely following him because of what he can do for us? Are we wowed by the crowds? Are we wowed by all of the stuff? And the whole time we're missing the bread of life that is meant to sustain us and fill our souls. This week, uh, I was reading this text and I was just, just feasting on John 6. And my spirit was so stirred. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. I got home and sitting in the recliner. Actually, right when I walked in the door, I told my wife, I said, Joy, family meeting tonight. 
and uh, Caleb's here in this service, and I, I looked at all the kids, and I said, we have a family meeting tonight. That means at 8 o'clock, everyone in our family on the couches. And they looked at me like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, did we, what did we do? Like, are we in trouble? And I said, don't worry about it. You'll find out. And they're like, okay. So 8 o'clock comes, and, and I don't really know, like, exactly what I'm going to say to my family. I just knew that my heart was stirred, and I'm like, I got to make sure that we're not following Jesus the way these people were. And I somehow got to explain this to my 4-year-old. <laughs> And so my kids got on the couch, and we're sitting there, 8 o'clock. They're sitting there. They're like, what is happening right now? Family meeting time. And I'll be honest with you, in the first few moments, I didn't even know what to say. I'm just like, Lord, I don't know what I'm, how I'm supposed to explain this to a 4-year-old, uh, to an 8-year-old, and to an 11-year-old. But you can do this. And I just sat there, and I just began to, to I looked at Avery. I said, Avery, you know, we're pretty blessed, aren't we? Yes, Daddy, we're blessed. I said, you like, you, you like those shoes you just got? See, Avery, he had, a, he had a basketball tournament yesterday. And you know what kind of shoes that he, he strutted in at his tournament? LeBrons. I'm like, the real good LeBrons. I didn't pay for the LeBrons. Grandma paid for the LeBrons. But he was wearing the LeBrons. I'm talking about kid was looking fly. I mean, he had the Nike socks pulled all the way up. You know how the kids do, right? And I mean, he was just, I said, I said Avery, if you don't make a single basket, at least you look good. I mean, he is strutting up into that thing. He's just like, yeah, what? I mean, I said, I said, Avery, you, you like those LeBrons? I do. I said, you like the, the house that we have, Caleb? Didn't I? I said, Caleb, do you enjoy the house that we have? It's great. We love this house. Do you love the, the little pool that we have in the backyard and, and that you get to go and you get to swim on a Saturday when it's hot and you get to enjoy family time like we're probably going to do this afternoon? And I said, I said, guys, God's been very good to us, hasn't he? And they're like, yes, he has. I mean, God's blessings are all over us. And then I began to say, guys, what I don't want us to do is to merely stop at his blessings and, and receive these things that God has given to us and these LeBrons and just say, well, I'm blessed. Without understanding that, yes, God has, has blessed us and will provide for us. But I said, guys, as a family, we have to understand that there's also a miracle, a treasure for us in his presence, who he is for us. I said, Avery, have you ever just felt his presence? I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you just to know his stuff. Come on, somebody. Who am I talking to today? That we can, we can begin to come into a place and, and we can experience growth like we have over this past year and a half. And we've, we're so thankful for that. And God has increased this church in every way, every single way. We've increased some, some 400%. I praise God for that. That in and of itself is not why we're gathered here. Oh, we receive the bread. We receive the LeBrons. We, we receive all of the blessings that God said, I will take care of you because you're my child. But, but my providing for you ultimately, physically, is not why I came. I came to give you bread, but I came to be your bread. 
And I found myself like, God, how do I explain this to little Riley, who's four? And I just said, Riley, do you know Jesus loves you? You know you have all of these things, but do you know his presence is with you? And you know you can know him. You can, you can know him personally. And I'm like, I'm like, I said, Joy, I don't even know how to, if I'm saying this right. But Lord, give me, give me wisdom to tell my kids that Jesus is so precious in and of himself. Not just because of his blessings. And this is where we find ourselves in John 6. You have thousands of people following Jesus. Some who had been following him for two years. And Jesus reveals himself in verse 35. Jesus says to them, I, I, yes, I gave you bread, but I am the bread of, say it with me, life. It's interesting about that word life because in the English language we only have one word for life and what is that <laughs> life <laughs> not a trick question just life so it doesn't matter how you're trying to use the word it's just life but in the Greek, there are two words for life. And this becomes very important when we see how Jesus revealed himself. So there is a word for life in the Greek, and it's called bios. Bios is where we get our word biology, which is the study of life. The definition, the Greek definition of bios is, is physical life, material life, resources to sustain us. We see this word bios used in Luke chapter 8 where the woman who had an issue of blood, it says that she had spent all of her bios, all of her resources to try to pay doctors to fix her problem. All of the things that materialistically can sustain us, this is the word bios. But there is another word for life in the Greek, and it is the word zoe. Zoe, this is the definition for zoe. It means it transcends the physical. It's eternal. It's the word we see in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 where it says, and we have been raised to walk in newness of zoe. Newness of eternal life. It's the word we see in Acts 2.28 that says, You have made known to me the paths of Zoe. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so Jesus comes on the scene in John chapter 6 after feeding their bios, if you will, and feeding them physically to sustain them temporarily. But the whole message was, yes, but I did that as a sign to point to a Zoe life. We like to follow signs, don't we? But we need to understand signs are meant to point to something greater. I've shared this before, but if you go on vacation this summer and you're going to go to, I don't know, Destin, and you pack the family up and you're getting close and, and you hear the word like I do when we go on trips because I got four kids. So, you know, like 7,500 times I'm going to hear, how far are we away? When are we going to be there? <laughs> how much longer? And then and to answer that question accurately, what do I have to do? Look for the, I can look for the sign. Destin. 15 miles. There's a sign. You know what I don't do? I don't pull the van over 
and get the family out at the sign and have a picnic, which is what a lot of us do because we focus only on the signs without allowing the sign to point to what it's meaning to point to, which is something greater than the sign. Oh, so many people in Christianity today are chasing the signs. Oh, well, let's chase wherever we see the miracles and the signs. And, and the whole time, Jesus is saying, the sign is great, but I didn't come just to heal you, you know, physically. I came to satisfy your soul and your spirit and to give you something greater than bios, which is zoe, eternal life. And so he shows up on the scene and he says, I'm the bread of, and they thought he would say bios. I'm the guy who's gonna, who's gonna give you everything you need to make it in this life. If you'll follow me, your bank will be full. I'm about to, I'm about to redeem Israel and, and, and the Romans. I'm gonna crush the Romans and we're gonna rise to power and I'm gonna make you my generals. And they're like, woohoo! And so he came, but instead of offering them the bios, he offered them Zoe and they didn't want it. So the type of life that they were, that he was trying to give them, they were not interested in. And they begin to walk away. And here's what I want to say before we dive into a couple of points today. Why is this important to understand this type of life? Because all of us need bios. All of us need physical things. All of us need materialistic things. But let me tell you something. When it comes to your need... You have a zoe, eternal need that a bios, material solution, will not fill. And what happens is, is, is the frustration for so many Christians is that we have these unfulfilled desires inside of us. And we're trying whatever we can get our hands on, the bios, to fill the void. And we're still empty because it's a zoe void. What it might be, it might be you turn to a bottle. It might be you turn to Netflix. It might be you turn to relationships or chasing more money or chasing, you know, the American dream. And if you just think, if I could just get that, I'll be satisfied. And Jesus is dropping a bombshell here. And he says, no. It's like trying to put a square peg in a circle hole. It's just not, it's not going to work. You're going to still be chasing. You're still going to be empty because I have designed you. He has created all of us with his what? The breath of eternity has been breathed inside of you. Therefore, nothing less will satisfy you. Come on. The breath of heaven, the breath of your creator has been breathed inside of you. And that's why nothing by us ultimately satisfies you. It doesn't mean when he says don't labor for food that perishes, it doesn't mean don't work and make money. It means don't be controlled by things and chasing things that ultimately won't fill you. I want to look at three things today, three things that Jesus encourages his followers in the, in the middle of this, of this chapter before they all leave, before we end with this sad scene that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But 
But there's a moment from verse 25 to 35, there's some dialogue that takes place where Jesus, I can feel his heart, and he's really trying to speak something to his followers. He's really trying uh, to, to show them how they can truly live a life fulfilled. And I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about focus. I want to talk about faith. And then we're going to talk about finishing well, finishing focus, faith, and finish. Let's look at focus first. Look at verse 27. Jesus said to his followers who came to him because they were hungry again, do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life. That word labor means to be dominated by or to be overly focused on. And so what he's saying to them is don't let the focus of your life be on the wrong thing. Why is this important? Because, because focus, what you're focused on, I'm going to explain this in just a minute, but what you are focused on sets the direction of your life and it is direction not intention that brings you to your destination. Why is this important? Why, am I why is he telling them, before we get to faith, focus on the right thing. Focus, Paul says it this way, focus on, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the, why? Because what you focus on ultimately directs, uh, will begin to set the direction of your life. And I don't care how well intended you are, the direction you're going is where you're going to end up. I mean, I could be driving after, you know, after church is over. I don't know about y'all. We like to go to PDQ, okay? I could be driving to PDQ and, and take a right turn right, and just, and just be going somewhere else, and be like, oh, I'm gonna make it to PDQ, like, Lord, I just, I, I, if you could just give me the strength to make it to PDQ, I'm really wanting some chicken right now, and I, I just, I'm, I, I, I know it's what's good for me, and he's like, well, turn around, what, you want me to get in the car with you, and like, turn the wheel back around, the focus of your life sets the direction, and the direction of your life will bring you to your destination, you ever met or been around somebody who's just focused on the wrong stuff? Sometimes good stuff, but overly focused on good stuff at the neglect of what they really need. Let me explain. Not long ago, I was in Chick-fil-A. <laughs> well, but Chick-fil-A, that's like God's restaurant right there. I mean, I don't know how they do it. All right, I got to keep going. I was in Chick-fil-A, and this guy walked in, he sat in front of me, and he was a big, muscular guy, had a tank top on, looked like maybe he just got out of the gym, and uh, a lot more intimidating looking than I do, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, and you know, sometimes you feel the nudge, and, the, and I just felt the nudge from the Lord, and the Lord said, go talk to that guy, and I'm like, okay, here we go, so I just go, and I sit in front of him, and uh, hey, how you doing, my name's Steven, what's your name, I just felt led to come over here, just wonder if I could pray for you, man, what's going on? I uh, really felt the Lord tell me, and it was interesting because I found out he was already a Christian, and man, he was quick to let me know how much he knows about the Bible. I mean, he's quoting scriptures left and right. I mean, he's like quoting chapters, and I'm like, whoa, slow down, buddy, and he wants me to know how smart he is, and I, I, it came out that I was a pastor, and he was like, oh, so you pastor a church in this area, and I'm like, yes. Is that a bad answer? He's like, oh, okay, well, I got some questions for you. I'm like, okay. And his first question was this. 
You serving coffee in your church? I'm like, yes. I don't know what's the right answer there, so I'm hoping it's the right answer. I said, yes, and he, got, he does this. <sighs> and I'm like, that's probably not what he wanted to hear. He's like, I got another question for you. And I'm like, this is not going well. He said, do you preach from the King James Bible? I was like, no. I preach from the English Standard Version? And he did this again. I'm like, I'm already strike two. If I get strike three, I don't know what might happen. This is a big dude right here. This is not going how I planned it to go. I felt a nudge by the Holy Spirit to begin to really dig into this person's life. And I I began to ask him some questions. And what I began to realize is that here's a guy who is knows so much about the Bible and, um, and, and, and is so focused on a couple of things about Christianity and has three girlfriends, been married twice, parties and gets drunk every night of his life almost. This is coming out of him and he's just struggling right now and he's just, he's just in, a, in, in a tough season. He's in a tough season right now. Doesn't go to church anywhere. Can you, I mean, my goodness, like who can fit his standard of church? And this is what I thought. I didn't say it like this, but this is what I thought uh, uh, to say to him. And I said it in a nice way. But I said, maybe you need to focus less on King James and more on King Jesus. Because the very thing that could sustain him and fill his life to bring real victory is not King James or whether or not we serve coffee or not. It's have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you made Jesus the all-satisfying, all-sufficient lover of your soul? Have you brought him in in relationship with him? Or are you focused on the wrong stuff? Come on, how do you know? We just need to keep the main thing the main. And whether or not we serve coffee, I mean, listen, I've said this before. You know, you know people will come up to me and, and, and be overly concerned about specific things. And, and I, I just, this is what I believe. You guys can, can worry yourself and split hairs over theology, and I'll focus on breaking chains. I'll focus on seeing people come into the kingdom of God. I'm going to focus on people encountering Jesus. I'm going to focus on people knowing him as the source of life, not King James or ESV. Or, and, and all of those things have their place. But we've got to be focused on the right thing. I know people who will take one doctrine, and that's all they focus on. And every time you talk to them, it's all about this one specific doctrine, almost to the neglect of the very source of life that they need. Oh, but they're focused. They know this one part. No, no, if I'm going to focus, if I only have one thing that I get to focus on, it's going to be Jesus. A lot of other theological issues we can debate over. And I love theology. It has its place. Not if it's pulling my focus away from Jesus. You follow me? So this is what I want to say to you today. Is what you actually need staring you in the face? You're just focused on the wrong thing. 
Are you going through a situation? Are you feeling dry? Are you feeling empty? And you're searching and you're searching and you're searching and you're searching and the very thing you need has been staring at you. I read a story recently that I, it just blew me away. There's a missionary who was called to a desert region and this missionary felt led of the Lord to actually fill buckets of water into a wagon and, t- and, and take the water through the desert to these villages and bring them water. And many times this would take him days and days to bring water to all of these villages. And one time he goes into the city with his wagon, he fills up buckets of water. He goes off on his journey and he goes to the first village and he gives them their water. And then he doesn't make it to the second village. And the people were wondering what happened to the missionary that was supposed to bring us water. And so they sent out a search team and they found him dead. And so they brought him to the city and the doctors examined him. And what they came to realize is that this missionary died of thirst. Buckets of water all around him. He died of thirst. And I just wondered as I'm thinking through this and thinking about where we're at and my family and our church and are we striving after the wrong thing when what we need is staring us right in the face? That Jesus did not just come to give us bread but to be bread for us and ultimately the bread would be broken for us that we would see him Broken on the cross, Jesus came to satisfy your soul, not just feed your belly. Let me ask you this. Have you been out of focus lately? Has your life felt out of focus? Maybe today, through the Holy Spirit, God is telling you it's time to refocus. It's time to set your sights back on Jesus. Oh, all that other stuff has its place, but have you turned away from the source of life and been focusing on all your problems? Oh, I can't believe this happened. And then and in reality, we're like throwing you know, Jesus in the mix, like, oh, I know God's got this. Oh, I know he's there. Oh, I'm going to church, all that stuff. But deep down, you are searching. You are searching and searching and grabbing bios, bios, and and trying. Oh, I'm still not satisfied. Oh, my God. Oh, I know, Jesus, you got me, right? I'm just going to keep coming to church. And and, and the water jug is right here. But we're like, oh, let me just try this now. I'm still just, I'm just going through it, you know. Just the struggle is real. Oh, let me try this. This is not working. You know, I just don't know why. I just don't know why I can't be fulfilled in life. And then I'm, I'm trying over here. It's like, oh, but, and, and Zoe is right in front of us. Got to focus. Second thing he talks about is faith. So I want you to turn, look at verse 28. It says, they said to him after he said, don't labor for food that perishes but labor for food that endures to eternal life and they said to him what must we do to be doing the works of God and this is sounds like something you and I would say all right so you're 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 telling me that I need to labor for this eternal bread okay what do I need to do what are the five steps to like eating this miracle bread right this is what we would do you hear a pastor you hear him say man there's freedom for you there's deliverance for you there's there's real overcoming life that Jesus died to give you and you're like oh that sounds great that's cool that's just church stuff woohoo amen like but let's just get real what do i really need to do to get that 
Like, we want steps, don't we? Like, give me the five things to, to a, a better life. I just think there's one. One. One step. And so Jesus said, because they said, what do we do to be doing the works of God? And he answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. So what does that mean? What does it mean? It means that, that our work as believers is to wake up and, and believe that Jesus is enough. Come on, to put your focus on things above and then as you focus on him, say, I know I've got all of these needs around me and I know I've been trying to resource from the wrong place, but today I'm saying, you are enough. You satisfy me. And all of a sudden, faith is activated. Faith is activated now. And this is what Jesus is saying. You want to eat of this bread? Believe. Well, we don't like that. Seems too easy. But let me say this. If you're tired this morning, it may be because you have left simple faith that Jesus is enough. Maybe you've been in church 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, and you know all the scriptures, just like this guy. could quote, like, you know, chapters, asking me questions that I didn't know and then trying to make me feel stupid for not knowing them. And the whole time living in bondage. Like, does it matter how many scriptures you can quote if they've never traveled the distance from your head to your heart? Man, I would say no. That's why, let me encourage you. It's never your goal to win an argument with somebody about Christianity. It shouldn't be. Because if you win, what have you had? Well, you won an argument. So what? Someone smarter than you can probably come around and beat you in the argument. We need to be showing people the bread of life. Focused faith. And what is the result of seeing Jesus as the bread of life? Well, look in verse 66. We had focus, we have faith, and finally we have finishing. How many of you know it's important to finish the race? It's important to finish. We started out with this grand mega church. We started out and really the masses and Jesus begins to say some very difficult things and people begin to walk away and people that had followed him for years are now saying, wait a minute, this, this can't be to the point where Jesus looked at them and said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciples. At this point, if I'm one of the 12, I'm like, no, don't, please don't say, what, what, I, what is happening? How could you say that, Jesus? Look, they're leaving. Like we had our mega church. We could have taken up an offering. Could you have at least waited till we took the offering up to talk the, you know, the blood and the, and the, the, the flesh stuff? Obviously, Jesus was not meaning physically, but he knew their heart. He knew what they were in it for. And he was saying, if you're not willing to give me everything and take me in as the all-satisfying uh, pursuer of your soul, then, then all of this stuff is not worth it anyway, and I don't even want you following me. You can go. And the masses begin to leave. And you would think at this point, Jesus would turn to his 12 and then say, okay, guys, I know this has been tough. I mean, who wants a church of 15,000 to go to 12 like that? Not the best church growth model, Jesus. You should go to another conference. 
And you would think he would turn to his 12 and say, well, at least I got my 12. All right, guys, listen, obviously I wasn't really talking about like eating my flesh. Like it was a metaphor. I'm trying to get you to understand that, that, that I'm more than just physical blessings for you. That by faith that, that you can receive me in and it will satisfy the Zoe void you have. I'm, I'm really, God sent me here for the Zoe, not the bios. I just need you to see that. He didn't even say that. He looked at his 12 and he was like, Y'all want to go too? Go ahead. Don't let the door hit you where the, yeah. In verse 66, it says this, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying what I've said many times and what some of you have said. And I pray that we get this morning that, that we've tried it. We've tried everything, Jesus. Like, this has been weird. Yes, I will give you that. Don't really understand the whole flesh and blood stuff. But really, Jesus, do you think I'm going to leave you? I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and it did not fill me. You alone have the words of life. You alone have something. When you speak, something eternal awakens on the inside of me, and I'm not willing to walk away from that. I may not have everything figured out, but I have one thing figured out. You're enough. You satisfy, you're more than bios. You came to fill the eternal void that's inside of me. And though I don't know all this stuff, I'm not leaving your side. Years ago, when I'd really first gotten saved, I had come to this place where a man I looked up to very much had fallen into sin. And some mentors that I looked up to who were pouring into me had sort of walked away because of him. And there was this big mess. And, and long story short, a lot, really all of the men in my life that I was pulling from walked away from me. And I remember being in my apartment and I just remember having this moment with God and, I, and just like Peter, I just felt like, Lord, this person has walked away. This person has fallen. I'm praying for them, but I'm confused right now. And I just had this moment where I, I said what Peter said. I'm like, I don't have this figured out. And, and, but, but I'm to the point now where I don't care if every person on this earth turns from you. Where else am I gonna go to get the words of life? I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You can't sway me away from that. You can't argue me away from that. We're not talking about bios. We're talking about eternal void that has been satisfied. That's why, church, I'm telling you, I don't care what you're going through. The answer is not more stuff. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger again. If you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. What is he saying? Your quest for satisfaction ends with me. Ends with me. We gotta focus on things above. We've gotta make sure our faith is in his sufficiency and what he did for us 2,000 years ago. If we do this, I'm telling you, we're going to finish strong. 
We're not going to be swayed by the crowds. We're not going to be swayed by every new hype thing that's coming our way and every, everything that's telling us to do this and that. Oh, we got to do this now to bring more people. No, no, no. We're going to be swayed by a pursuit of Jesus, a pursuit of his presence. We want people to encounter him. I'm not in this for church. <laughs> I'm in this so people can know Jesus, really know him, not know church, not know a good kid's side. You with me? Man, I, my heart, my heart is that four-year-olds, my daughter's over there right now. You think I'm not praying that she would encounter the Holy Spirit in a real way that would wreck her and she would be on her face weeping before the Lord saying, Jesus, I love you. Yes, that's my prayer. Or what, you think I'm just praying that she's gonna learn another story and get some candy? This was not in first service. <laughs> it's just coming out. I just want you to know my heart. God's enough for you. Stop searching in all the wrong places. There is a fountain of living water. His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. Oh, Lord, let us not labor for food that perishes. Oh, Lord, let this church not be controlled by things that are fleeting and perishing. Oh, God, would you move us with eternal things? Would you move our heart for eternal things? God, I pray that every person in this room would feel the love and the grace that's being showered over them right now. Listen, with head, heads bowed, eyes closed, this is what I really feel like the Lord is saying right now. So I just want you to receive this from the Lord. I feel like that there are, maybe I even feel like one, a woman right now that has, is tired, and, and you even, you know who I'm talking about. Tears are welling up right now. You need to know that your heavenly Father knows exactly what you've walked through, and he is here with you today. And though you've been tired, though you've been frustrated, though you've walked and looked and done all the things to try to be satisfied, today he's turning your eyes back to him. And he's simply saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, speak to every heart. And Lord, I pray right now for those that may not know you, whether you're watching online right now or sitting in one of these chairs, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Listen, if you take relationship out of the equation, all you have is work. All you have is work. But I'm praying you would come into relationship with Jesus today. If you say, man, I, I'm ready to make that decision. Don't walk out of here without knowing that you know that you know that Jesus loves you and you're his child. If that's you right now, with heads bowed, eyes closed, would you slip your hand up at me right now? Just say, I'm ready to make this real. Come on, I see your hand. Anyone else? It's not about anyone else in the room. This is about you and Jesus. Amen. Hands going up. And listen, I believe that there are people watching online right now and God's ministering to you. He's speaking to you. And this is what I want us to do. I want all of us, whether you're sitting in a living room or your car or you're in here and you've had your hands up, I want us all to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus. Come on, everybody say it together. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, that you died on the cross. And on the third day, were raised to life and today I give my life to you 
Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who've committed their lives to Jesus? Go ahead and stand this morning.